Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Buongiorno. Welcome to Tej Talks. I've just come back from Italy for the second time this year. Oh, I've got the post-Italy blues. The cheese isn't the same. The salami isn't the same. Oh, nothing's the same. Anyways, got quite a hefty tan, actually. Um, yeah, I do tan. It was so hot. It was awesome. Anyways, uh, on today's show, we have Imran and Arshad from AIM Properties, two of the three uh, who operate in this company. They are family father and sons and they are in Teesside which is um quite far from from like London it's up uh, it's, there's lots of green stuff around it on the map so it's, it's quite up there uh, they, they work on HMOs commercial conversions and you know what the best part of this story is they started with a pot of 150,000 pounds from remortgaging their house to now which is just over 10 years later having a portfolio worth 4.2 million pounds their rent roll is £294,000 a year and 80% of their portfolio are on repayment mortgages. Uh, so their actual profit a year is £120,000 a year. If it was on an interest only, it would probably be about £180,000 a year. What's really interesting is their portfolio loan to value is only 52% on a repayment mortgage and every month they're paying off about five and a half grand of actual debt which is which is pretty cool it's not something that you learn about on courses or hear about much right the being sensible thing and paying down debt and everyone has their own views on it but some of their deals are incredible they have a huge focus on adding value and show us how you can do that and the deals they've bought are very well in my eyes they're very attractive but I guess to a lot of non-serious investors they're quite unattractive subsidence crack dens cannabis farms etc all, all the good stuff we love in society um i'm joking so here we go let's talk to them actually no you know what i'm gonna say please leave a review if you haven't already we're getting 2000 unique listens an episode but i've only got 210 reviews on itunes which i think is the most of any property podcast and i've been going for not that long, which is awesome, but please leave some reviews. And again, if you want introducing to some bridges that I use and will be using, please let me know. I'll introduce you to the bridging companies. If you want a good broker, a good insurance broker, or some good deal sources in Wales, in fact, the only ones I recommend or and, I, and, and I'm working with, let me know and I will do the magic and I'll introduce you. Oh, sorry, also... Please like and follow Tej.talks on Instagram, leave a review on Facebook, follow the Facebook page, also follow AIM Properties on Instagram, let me know and I'll enter you into a competition where Imran and Arshad will show you around their HMOs, their commercial conversions and all their projects in Teesside for a whole day of masterminding for 10 people. Imran, Arshad, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Hi Tej. So I think this is one of the few times I've got two people on and your father and son, am I right? Okay, it's got a family business. Now, we first met at the uh, 10X Super Conference where you you came up to me and said, you love the podcast, you love to be on it. And I said, cool, you know, what's your story? Tell me your story. And you sent me the YPN article and then we got talking and I realised, wow, you know, the deals you've done and the things you've done and just everything which we'll get into was awesome. So I had to get you on here. Now, you know, one thing we'll touch on is, you know, about telling people what you do. But before we get into the kind of depths of you and your business, how how did you get started in property? And then I guess, then how did you get started together as a family in property? Properties, I sort of grew, I sort of grew up with property as a background activity with my parents repairing houses and renting them out. And, and gradually as... Gradually, I started buying my own property. I started, uh, I did my first property when I moved to Coventry and my existing house in Middlesbrough. I didn't want to sell that because I was going to come back. And I turned that into a HMO. It was, it was known as a lodger house in those days. That was 1989. 
And the amazing thing is, I even got a grant from the local council to turn it into a HMO. I rented that out for two years. I moved to Coventry. And then I gradually moved back for a job in Middlesbrough for two years. And I started buying a couple of properties in the mid-90s. Nothing to plan. It was all haddock while I was working as a software engineer, software development engineer. And over the decade or so, I'd had three or four different pension schemes, an employee pension scheme. In 2007, I got a letter from my employer saying the employees, employee pension scheme now was going to give me almost 30, 40% of my final salary. Had actually gone bankrupt and I wasn't going to be entitled to anything. Sat down with both my sons who'd followed me into IT also. Imran had just about completed his uh, computer science degree and Ifshan was uh, going to start doing his. And I said, this is what's happened to my pension scheme. Your pension scheme is going to be no different. What we should do as a family, we've got the skill, the knowledge, and we start doing property as a business and a family pension plan. That was 2007. We then raised £150,000 from £150,000 from our own house and our, sta- our starting pot. And that we then sort of did our first project in 2007. So I'll tell you a bit about my background. Um, basically, I did a IT degree. I did a computer science degree. I graduated in 2006. I uh, got a high-paid job as an engineer. Um, and then, as Ashad says, we decided in 2007 that we would try and do properties a full time. I'd actually grown up with uh, property as a as a kind of sideline in the Asian community. Most people had one or two houses. They were run as like a background bit of cash flow sort of thing. So that was what we were doing. But we wanted to go a bit more professional. Um, before that, between 2002, sorry, between 2000 and 2003, we actually bought um, a house to live in. Uh, in an affluent area um, and did a big extension on it. So we, we turned a two-bed house into an eight-bed house with uh, ensuite bathrooms. Um, and this was done while Zashad was working um, and I was at school slash college. Yeah. Um, and we learned, or I learned especially, a lot about property and refurbs and what to do, electrics, first fix, plastering, because we were really hands-on. We were we had contractors in, but we were really hands-on getting involved because it was a family home. We were all passionate about it. Um, and that kind of really gives us a good grounding of uh, what's possible in terms of development and refurb. So when we uh, when we did decide to do property professionally, we had quite a, a learning experience from the self-build that we did. Passive learning, as I say. Yeah, looking back on it, that was one of the best things we did, really, because at the time we were debating whether to buy a house that was don't know, but we couldn't quite stretch to what we wanted. And we decided to do a self-build project by buying a a smaller house and putting a big extension on it. We gained a lot of knowledge of the planning laws, what you can do and how to get around the planning system and try and achieve what what your end goal is. Because trying to get planning permission to turn a two-bedroom house into an eight-bedroom house wasn't easy. But we managed to do it. And the only wall standing was a neighbouring wall. Everything else was done from scratch. So you know you you had this experience for your own house. There's a lot of passion behind what you were doing, and you know I guess you were also hands on at a young age. Now, when you then all came together as family and said, "Right, the pension's gone. You know we need to sort this out and sort ourselves out." How did you decide what your strategy would be? Our strategy initially was we've got 150,000 pound pot there. We need to buy as much property as we can in the next five years. That was a simple goal plan that we had in 2007 yeah it was nothing detailed really it was just basically uh we can release this amount of equity because we've done this self the project and we've got this equity in this house so let's use that and just try and buy as many properties as we can uh there's no real structure or strategy or goal to it at that point uh but obviously that followed with time yeah. in 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 2007 property prices in middlesbrough were at their peak and having Double in property before any property prices would fall. And in 2007, we'd made this plan saying we'd start doing property as a business. Imran and Ifshan saying, let's start buying street houses. I'm saying, well, we don't really want to buy street houses because they're going to fall and we'll buy them when they're at the bottom. And both of these saying, well, we're all excited. We want to start doing something. We can't wait two, three years. 
we started looking around and we, what we found was empty commercial property was going very cheap and there's a lot that you could do with it. So our first project was buying a sewing factory and converting that into two retail units and two flats above. It's what, what you would call commercial conversion now, but we did the harvest because there was no permitted development rights or prior approval in 2007, we got planning permission. That was our first project. Again, it's kind of what people are doing now, but we did that in 2007. Wow. I mean, what gave you the confidence to go into what, you know, it's not a huge, huge project, but it's still something totally new to you and totally different to what you were doing before what gave you the confidence to say you know what we're just going to do it having dabbled in property in the mid 90s and having done the refurb project on our own house and that actually won the that was run up in the best blended extension in the middle for council awards that gave us a lot of a lot of confidence again we knew a lot of the contracts and trades yeah, for for myself, it was the, the definitely the south build that gave me the confidence and, and the excitement value of it. We'd we'd found this rundown building. Uh, it was an old sewing factory at the time, um, where uh, it was a I think it was a Sikh family, wasn't yeah. it, who were who used to run a sewing factory. Um, they had about ten sewing machines, interested sewing machines downstairs yeah. and an office upstairs. Um, but that had, the business had closed, so he was selling the building. Um, and it was just like on the edge of an affluent village, uh, well, a, a village parade shop. So it looked like a good area. The building was run down, so we got it at a decent price. Um, and we just thought, well, we've, we've already just finished this self build project, so why not just cut our teeth on this one and, and just do it? We're already excited, and we'd, we'd just finished the house project. So it was something to get your teeth in and just learn more and just try and elaborate on the skills we'd already learned. And we knew residential wasn't the right property to buy at that time because property property goes in cycles and it wasn't time to buy residential as a matter of wait. But while we were waiting, we were doing something else. Yeah. And then, you know, I guess this maybe this is something that's more current, which is, you know, the high street is dying, etc. It's more risky to buy commercial units. At that time, was there no notion of the high street dying? Was it like it was buoyant and it was great to buy commercial units? Yeah, the high street was really buoyant. Rents were really high on the high street. Everybody wanted prestige high street properties. This was not actually high street, but it was secondary residential, uh, just off a shopping parade in a village. But just to give you an example, about five years before that, we were looking to to buy a, a, a shop on, on Main High Street. Um, and, and it's just all about mindset. And we've seen a, a building, and it was advertised as uh, building only for sale, business will carry on. Um, and we both had a discussion about when we, at the time we were looking to buy this as as a, as a premises for ourselves to set up a business, um, and we were wondering why somebody would want to sell the building with a business in it. Why would somebody want to buy something cash flowing? Um, so we had a massive mindset shift from then to now. We wanted vacant so we could occupy it, and we never thought of the passive income. As Imran said, it's all a mindset, which changed. When we read Rich Dad Poor Dad in 2006-7, I think, hang on, we've been missing a totally different angle to property. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, that deal, do you remember the figures from it? Yes, we do. Yeah. Uh, purchase price on that one was 76000 It was in 2007. Um, we, did a, we got planning permission for two flats upstairs and two retail units downstairs. Um, and the refurb cost us 46 k um and then the end valuation was 205,000 wow um and we decided to do 60% loan to value on that one because we were always um of the opinion that we should try and borrow as little as possible um again mindset shift and gearing uh, so we were always of the mindset of borrow as little as possible and everything on repayments so we're paying debt down so we did that on a repayments on 60% loan to value and uh, we got back 124k out of that deal, um, which left in about 1,200 pound um, of our money, which was about one month's rent. Yeah, and that rent rents out at 16, 16 and a half a month, uh, and cash flows at about 1,400 a month. Wow, and and you still have it to this day? We have. We do, yes. Uh, it's been a, it's been a great great little project, really, because the downstairs unit has been left to the same guy since 2007. That's actually 2008 he moved in because it was empty for about six or seven months. Um, and the upstairs flats, I think we've only had three tenancy changes across the yeah. two flats. Again, the last tenants in one of the flats has been there for the last five, six years yeah. because it's 
it's just on the outskirts of a very affluent village in village area in Middlesbrough, and the bus route is only a couple of minutes away to the town centre. So the tenants just love it. Yeah, it's been a great, great little project. Wow! And then, so that was sort of just over ten years ago. Twelve years ago. Twelve years. Sorry, my math's terrible. What have you? What have you been doing in those twelve years since then? What kind of other things have you worked on? How has your strategy evolved? We've basically been, we finished one project of refinancing and using the money released to buy the next project. Well, our sort of, the way the property prices were in sort of in Quayside, Middlesbrough, our first three projects were all commercial property because commercial property was cheap in relative to residential property. And I think we'd, have, we'd got the commercial book, we were kind of <coughs> into book of commercial property and, and the, the advantages it had. Um, so we refinanced that first one, uh, and the only reason we actually refinanced it was to purchase the next commercial property. Um, so we moved from that on to, was it the court building we yeah. bought? We bought, um, it was two shops, the main shop was led to the court, and there was an empty shop next door to it, and it was an empty dilapidated flat upstairs. We bought that with sort of no money in because the refinance from this one, Lions and Leicester, gave us 100% funding for that and they even gave us a 20k refurb pot yeah, from the equity. Yeah. Because we had the equity, because we had uh, the money from this one, we basically convinced them to take this property as security, security and uh, borrow us all of the funds to purchase that one. So the deposit yeah. was our property effectively. We we then sort of use the 20k to re refurb the other shop, which initially we led it, led it to a, a lady that was doing children's wear. It's now been a barber shop for the last uh, eight years or so, and we redid the refurb the flat upstairs, and we managed to double the rent on the commercial property. And with commercial property, if you double the rent, you double the value. So we got a very good valuation on this which we then refinance again to buy our third commercial at auction. Yeah, and I think we didn't know at the time, but we were kind of getting good at the buy, refurb, refinance strategy, as it's called now. But at the time, we didn't really know what we were, that, no, that was what we were doing. No money down the deals. Yeah. Wow. So quite a variety there and quite a, I guess, quite a lot of not necessarily using your own funds. Now, I think, you know, what you said about the property, you know, using it as security, as deposit, I'm doing that right now on my second house. So I didn't know it was a thing, you know, someone told me and I thought, oh, well, that's unencumbered. So I can use this as a deposit pot. And I think it's important for people listening, like these little things. I mean, look, it's not, you know, something mind blowing, but and not everyone has an unencumbered property or will. But I think, you know, if you do, it's something to definitely consider. Right. So. You went through all of these, I guess, things in property. Um, and I remember you were in YPN magazine quite a while back. And you had quite a few like interesting deals in there. I think I, I think one of them might have been an, a HMO in TS1, I think, where it was no money left in. Yeah. Am I right? Yes. Could, could you tell us about that deal? Yes, we can tell you about the HMO in TS1. Um, basically, it was um, a house that was a terraced house in a street. Um, the occupier had some health issues and was in hospital for a while. Um, and we got to know about this property coming on sale by a local um, environment officer who told us basically the, the woman is not going to be going back to the house and the house is in a poor condition, uh, would you be interested in buying it? So we said yes, of course we will. We went around, had a look. The house was in a really poor condition and in disrepair. It looked like nobody did live there really for a couple of years. And when they had been living there, they were hoarding stuff really. There was lots of rubbish in the rooms. There was lots of furniture, bags full of rubbish and this sort of thing in all the rooms. So we did a, a deal to purchase that one at 27.5k. Wait, what? 27.5k? Yeah. It took about six months to do the deal. Initially, we were talking to the the woman itself. Then 
we were just about to do a deal and then nothing happened for about good four or five months and then got a phone call from my aunt about four or five months later saying you were talking to my niece who's basically in hospital now. Are you still interested in buying the property? She came down from down south and she lived somewhere like Portsmouth or Brighton. And she came over, we had a look and she'd actually done a lot of her her own work on what the prices should be saying, well, £27,000 isn't, property price is selling here around about £50,000, that's what I want. So we actually gave her examples of other properties that were selling a lot less, other properties we bought in the area at 35 that were all done up, didn't need that kind of work. In the end, we offered the 25 to begin with, but she wanted 30 so we then met halfway, shook hands, and that was it. Yeah, so that one was probably about 20 to 25 or maybe 35 percent below market value. Yeah, the yeah. properties around there, it had done up value were about 55 to 60 at the time. Um, but in a poor disrepair condition, you were looking at about 40. Yeah. So yeah. it was a cracking little deal. I mean, no, nobody would probably buy this uh, through the ages because the property was in a huge deal up condition and the council even had some, the council actually done some repairs of the property and they had actually put that on the actual register. But before we bought it, luckily, those had been paid off. Yeah, the aunt actually paid off the, yeah. um, Which was the nice charges that the council put on the property. Wow. So, you know, you got this property and TS1 is the postcode, right? So, like, you got this property and where is it located in... It's in, on the outskirts of the, the university. It's about ten minute walk from Teesside University. Okay, so yeah. you thought student HMO? Yes. Yep, that was exactly what we thought straight away. We thought student HMO. Uh, we went in there. We had a measure up and we thought, well, this is actually big enough to do all on suite. So, so we turned into we a five bed, a five bed all on suite. People ask us how do we manage to squeeze in five bedrooms in that. Hmm. I mean, how do you? Do you lift the floors? Do you bring the floors down, sorry, and then put a room in the attic? Or No, on this particular one, uh, we put a big extension on the back um, and we turned the upstairs three rooms into ensuite rooms by restructuring some of the walls and moving the uh, walls upstairs. So we did a bit of restructuring. Uh, on, this one had an offshot on the back, so there was the original two bedrooms and a bathroom on the back. Uh, we took the chimney stacks out uh, and repositioned the walls upstairs to give the three rooms pretty much equal space. Oh, and how much did you spend on this refurb? Um, that refurb came in around about 40k. I don't have the figures right in front of me now, but uh, give me a second. 45k that refurb was. Okay, and what did it revalue at? That one came back in at 100k. Uh, valuation, but we thought that was a poor valuation at the time. To be honest, that's probably worth about one thirty, one thirty-five. Wow. So, I mean, the houses on the street were selling like normal houses were selling for what about fifty, sixty? You said. Yeah, fifty, sixty. I, when we went for the revaluation, one of the terraced houses had sold for seventy grand. So. So you got the highest price on the street, really? Yes. Yeah, because we were at HMO. Ah, okay. And then, when when was this? This was in 2017, September 2017. Okay, so not too long ago. And has it been let since with, with no problems or have there been challenges with it? No, it's been let since no problems. We had students in the last year. The first year we'd actually missed the student intake. So we had uh, professionals in there uh, from, I think it was... First of September. I think it was October, mid-October they moved in. Um, and they were in till July, end of July. Okay. And then we had a set of students move in uh, in August and uh, their tenancy is just coming to an end now. Um, they're looking to sign up for next year. And do you find that like HMOs and student HMOs are saturated? Because everyone likes to talk about that. Like, What's it like in your area? Um, it's a it's a quite a hot topic in our area, isn't it, really? Um, student HMOs or HMOs in general are probably saturated in the middle ground. So when I say middle ground, I mean your general non-ensuite shared bathroom, magnolia walls, uh, bog standard HMOs. Uh, there's probably an oversupply of that type of property, uh, but we don't tend to go for that type of property. We're at the higher end of the student HMOs. We go all ensuite, really nice decor, high end, jazzy, funky walls, funky wallpaper, um, that sort of market. The top five to ten, the top ten percent. 
Mm, okay, I like that. And so you've done these HMOs and quite a few commercial conversions, commercial units. Like when it comes to like funding these deals, I know some have been sort of no money down or have been sort of from, um, you know, using other properties you have. But, you know, do you work with investors or has all the money come from your savings and then been multiplied by pulling money out again and again and again? Uh, traditionally, we've always recycled our own funds until about 12 months ago, 18 months ago. Yeah, 12, 18 months ago. We've started, uh, a lot of out-of-town investors were coming to Middlesbrough and consulted us for our knowledge. And we got to know two or three of these investors pretty well. And these guys have funded some of our projects in the last 12, 18 months. And what do you think made them invest in you? Because obviously we were talking, you know, in person and you're not, well, you haven't been big on social media or telling everyone what you do. So what gave these investors the confidence and want to invest in you, do you think? I think they got to know us really well. They they basically found us and seeked us out for advice and local knowledge. Uh, and we were really open and honest with them, really. We we were transparent in everything we told them. We were honest in what we were doing. We were honest in the market in Middlesbrough and in Teesside. So we got to know them really well. We built a good relationship and they liked us. We liked them. Um, and like you say, they knew what we did and what we did was of a high quality and high standard. The other and thing trust, is... They trusted what we did. They come and had a look at our projects and seen them and seen them in progress, seen, seen completed projects. Yeah. Again, having a, obviously the first building that we did in 2007, the sewing factory that would turn into two units, and we still own that. And sh- when this, when they see projects that we've done maybe 10, 12 years ago, and we still keep them, and they're really cash flowing, that's what really... Credibility, I guess. Credibility. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, speaking of the topic of, I guess, finding investors and, and telling everyone what you do, I mean, so... Up until recently, you didn't really speak about property and how many you bought and the value of your portfolio. What What's changed? Uh, I think we've come to realise that not a lot of people know what we do. And like Ash had mentioned, not, even our family doesn't really know what we do. Close family and friends didn't know how successful we were um, at property. Um, so we kind of had a mindset shift. Uh, and decided, look, we need to tell people more about what we do. We need to kind of blow our own trumpet a little bit more. And work with other investors also. What we found is that if we'd been, been working with other investors, we'd probably been a lot further in our journey rather than recycling our fund, funds from one project to the other project. Because the biggest bottleneck in the early days, the last decade, has been our own funds that have been recycled from one project to another project. That limited us how many projects we could do per year. Whereas if you're working with other investors, then that limit doesn't exist anymore. And everybody's under a win-win. Yeah, I think we've kind of reached a, a stage in our journey where we have the knowledge and the experience to do multiple projects a year. And the only limiting factor is funds. Mm. And so I know you said you could be, you know, if you had investor funds earlier, you could be ahead of where you are now. But for everyone listening to understand where you are, and obviously they've listened to you and they know now how long it's taken. How So tell me, I guess, tell me this. How much is your portfolio worth? What does it bring in every month or every year in profit? And then what's your LTV overall, roughly? Our portfolio at the moment is roughly £4.2 million. That's starting off the pot of £150,000. And our rent roll is around about £294,000 a year. That's about £24,500 per month. Our cash flow on repayment mortgage, which is almost 80% of our portfolio is on repayments, is around about £10,000 a month, which is £120,000 a year. Obviously, if we're actually only on interest-only payments, we'd be looking around about £182,000 Per year, yeah. and our loan to our loan to debt is around about fifty-two percent, and at the moment, every month we are repaying around about five and a half thousand pound of our debt. Yeah, I think the important thing there is we're on eighty percent repayment, so we're paying down quite a lot of debt as we go along, and we're not really highly geared. We're low; we've got low gearing at around fifty-two yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah. 
we we did actually have a deal with our commercial lender a while back where they would actually give us a hundred percent funding for our new purchases uh, as long as we kept uh, at sixty five percent loan to value with with their with the prop with the oh, their portfolio, which was brilliant. We we did buy quite a few. We actually bought a com- empty commercial property that had been empty for almost ten years. That's another story that I'll probably tell you uh, later on if we've got time. We bought it for hundred percent funding on an empty property, which we've then over the last eighteen months sort of we have then sort of re- uh, refurbed it. Hmm. T- tell me about that one now. Yeah, it was a property. It was a property that had been coming on sale for a while. It it, it would go to auction, and I said, Imran, you know that property, because we'd actually had three other commercial properties on the same road in Darlington, and I said, Imran, you know that property, it's actually back on the sale. What's it like? And Imran said, Dad, it's not our cup of tea, meaning it's too expensive. It started off as around about £450,000, around about 2008, nine. About 2009, yeah. Nine. The guy, it was an old... Um, DIY store, yeah. so they sold, sold kind of everything, kind of a mini B&Q, um, and they had a few of these chains across the northeast, uh, and this particular one in Darlington, they decided to close down, so it was a, it was a large building, it was originally three, three shops. Ter- uh, terrace shops, uh, three storey, um, with a, a house at the back and a, like a builder's yard at the back, so um, a large building, came on the market for 450 um didn't quite have quite a lot of interest and at the time it was 2008 2009 yeah. uh property had just crashed um we had the whole um banking scandal nobody really wanted to lend on anything so it was a really poor time to try and sell a building of that nature so in 2000 i think around about october 2015 imran said you know that property that you keep asking me and i keep saying it's not our cup of tea guess what it went to auction last month at a guide of 200,000, and I thought it was going to tell me it sold. He said, good news, it hasn't sold. Are we interested? Meaning, do we have funds for it? I said, yes. I said, uh, basically, yes, let's uh, arrange a viewing, and we'll see what we can do. He arranged a viewing, and the vendor did the viewing himself. It turned out to somebody that I'd known decades ago in, in, in Middlesbrough. We had a good chat with him, and we joked him saying, you're basically wanting to sell this, and we want to buy this. What can we do a pre-auction deal? Because we have actually bought quite a lot of other property pre-auction. And the guy said, come and see me in Middlesbrough. We then went to see him the next weekend. We'd, myself, Imran, and Nifshan sat down and said, I think 135k is a win-win for all of us. Yeah, if, we, we basically had a little chat between us. We said, well, if you can try and get it down to about 130, 135, that'd be great. But if he's playing hardball, we'll give him 150, 160. Um, and it's still a cracking deal for us. Um, so we went to see him and he was playing really hardball and just basically didn't want a pre-auction offer. Um, his stance was the auctioneer is saying um, it'll sell for more than 200 grand. The 200 grand guy is just to entice people. So I'm looking at about 300-ish. So... We said, okay, fine. Um, then I got a call from the auctioneer the day after saying, oh, I'm dropping the guide price on this one um, to gain more interest. So they dropped the guide price to 100K. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 100K. from 150K. So we were like, okay, fine. I said to the auctioneer, I'll put an offer in at 150 now if you want. And he said, um, the vendor's not taken any cash offers beforehand. Um, I said, okay, fair enough. Uh, and this was one of the modern modern auctions where the buyer has to pay a premium. So I don't know if you know these auctions, but you've got to pay, I think, 6000 on most of them. It's ridiculous. Uh, I, I never understand it. it. Yeah, it, well, it's, I, I hate them, to be honest. And uh, I basically spoke to the auctioneer and I said, I don't want to pay this buyer's premium because um, I can't offset it on my tax and I can't borrow against it. And it's just ridiculous. Um, why don't you get the vendor to pay it? And he said, well... I can add it to the purchase price if you want. Um, so it's 106 grand guide price. And we thought about it when we thought, well, yeah. it's better than us paying it. At least it can be added to the loan. So after a few discussions, we, we decided that's the way we'll go. And the vendor said to me, or the, sorry, the auctioneer said to me, if you want to do that, you're going to have to put a bid in of 106K. So Sealed bid. Um, a starting bid. So you're going to have to start the bidding at 106K and you're going to have to do it before the auction. So my first bid is going to be your bid. 
So I said, okay, fair enough, fine, I can do that. So I gave him a deposit and I signed a bid off and there you go. So bonfire night, 5th of November was the auction. Uh, we rocked up to the auction room and there was literally about 15 people in the auction room. Um, so we looked at each other and thought, it's just the wrong room. Fastly <laughs> 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 yeah, become apparent we were in the right room. Um, I think there was only about five properties sold that yeah. day and one of them was ours. Well, um, I was not, I was not selling the room. Well, it, it didn't officially sell in the room because it sold to my bid beforehand of 106. There were no offers in the room. There was no offers in the room. So Wow. We were gobsmacked, really, yeah. um, that it come in at 106 grand. Yeah. Fully expecting to pay around 150 for it. Yeah. And why was no one else in? Because if you saw something in it, then surely other people saw potential in the building, no? Yeah. The building had been empty for the last 10 years and people thought there was something wrong with it. Whereas when we viewed it, we knew that obviously it had been empty and dilapidated, but we could do stuff with it. Yeah, the building had been broken into several times. The electrics had been stolen, the cables had been cut out, pipes had been stolen, as, as happens with empty property. It was used for drugs abuse. I think a few years before that, it was a cannabis farm on the top floor. Um, so all of these things kind of put people off, but we'd been in the game long enough to know that um, these are the kind of properties that we were looking to buy where we could add add value to them, really. Yeah. What did you uh, do was, to that one? Um, once we bought it, uh, I sort of contacted our commercial lender and said, we're buying this property, can you provide the funding? And he came down, had a look and said, I said, I can give you 100% funding on this compared with your equity. So the building had been empty for 10 years. We managed to buy it with £106,000. We contacted a surveyor that normally does the commercial lenders' valuations said, I don't even need to have a look inside. I said, this property is worth £106,000 any day and every day. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this this 100% funding that you're doing with your commercial lender, can you? am I right in saying this commercial lender has loaned you X amount of money so far in your portfolio and they're saying, because you're not very highly leveraged, we'll give you 100% funding and will only take a first charge on a property you're buying, or do they take it across your portfolio? How how does it work for them? It's across the portfolio. Yeah, it's a, it's across the portfolio. Basically, we've got over a million pounds, no, 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 no. over two million pounds yeah, borrowing yeah, with them, I think, now. Yeah. Um, so basically, we just add an additional property to the pot, and as long as the loan-to-value doesn't go above 65%, and the rent cover doesn't fall past 140%, is yeah, it? yeah. Uh, they're happy to lend again. There's those covenants that we need to meet, yeah. and as long as those are met, they're happy to fund 100%. As long as they know, well, they've got confidence that we can turn it around, yeah. re- refurb it, and get it rented out. So they're quite happy funding empty commercial property, which is a swear word with a lot of other lenders. <laughs> wow, that's that's very interesting. And for the listeners, you know, when you get to this stage or even an earlier stage, something to ask your lenders because. Yes, we all want angel finance, etc. But if your lender will give you a hundred percent, and it's another avenue of like financing a deal for free, obviously there's legal fees, etc., etc. Then you know consider it. Now, I I want to kind of jump back. So, <clears throat> so this property, I mean, how? Because you know it sounds incredible, and it sounds like you know a dream. What? For people listening, how often do you get a deal like this? They're very hard to find. And what we normally do is we actually follow property and watch property. Where I mean, something will come on sale today, we'll actually keep watching it until the price drops down to a level that we it's well below market value. And we know that we can actually add value. So it's a matter of looking at loads of, it's like putting loads of pokers in a fire and one of these will heat up eventually or several will heat up. So as as I said, this property we actually watched for almost eight, nine, ten years, and the figures on this one is it was three, it was three shops and a two-bedroom house. What we did, we did the corner unit in last year. We refurbed that, let it out, and the whole building cash flowed. Yeah. So there's no pressure to do anything with the other units. Our sort of motto was, we'll do these units up as and when we get tenants. And on the second two units, we found a tenant last August. He came in and said, I want both the units. So we then refurbed both the units and let that out. And I think we're getting something like £16,000 from the three units below now. Yeah, so 
to answer your question, earlier, what have we done with the building? Uh, well, basically, it was originally three retail units. Um, we've turned it back into three retail units downstairs on the ground floor. Um, the upper two floors are currently vacant, uh, but we're talking to the local council about planning flats. permission for six, uh, two and one and two bed flats above there. Um, there's a, a house to the rear of the building, which is a two bedroom house which we're looking to renovate and bring back on board as a two-bedroom house. So the the building or the project itself will be three retail units, six flats, and a two-bed terraced house. Wow. And, I mean, that deal is just... That, that's, that's big. And it's one of these things, right, when you hear these deals from people and then you hear that, like, you had no bids, it had no interest, the price kept dropping and dropping, you just think... But hold on, aren't there many people like us who would see it as an opportunity? And I guess sometimes there aren't. And I guess timing comes into it and persistence, which you've spoken about. So, you know, these deals do happen, but you, know, you watched it for eight, nine years. Like, you know, we, I guess when people come into property, especially if you come off a property course, you think, oh, um, I'm going to have a deal in nine days. You know, I'm going to have a deal in nine weeks. You know, you don't always you don't think about watching something for years so that's a key point for everyone listening is that you know play that long game now i want to go back to your your portfolio in total because we kind of spoke about that briefly now looking at those numbers and those figures i guess i have well i guess my first question is how like what is it about what you've done and how you've done it that's allowed you to go from 150k pot of refinancing your house to then having a portfolio worth 4.2 million like what have you done that's allowed you to do that over you know sort of 10 plus years well i think the main aspect of or the answer to that question is we have purchased properties where we can add significant value um, or do a significant amount of refurb or development work on them uh, as well as buying single lets, which are the bread and butter. So we bought two or three single lets a year, but we've always had one big project on at any sort of time where um, it adds significant amount of value. So we've recently been able to recycle or increase our capital. There's a project that I'll just go through, probably one of our best projects, where again, it's a matter of being brave. There's a block of flats, 12 flats that was going to auction. It was 12 dilapidated flats with 16 garages at the back, potential to move for another block of 12 flats. We saw it, we liked it, and we said, we sort of went to the auction and said, we want to buy this free auction. We then ended up paying them about 30% above the guide. Yeah, this particular block was owned by um, Southern Investors, who probably hadn't been in the area for at least five years, uh, looking at the condition of the building. Uh, out of the 12 flats, only one had tenants in it. Yeah. Um, the rest were empty and trashed. Again, copper and pipes had been stolen from the building. There was needles everywhere, drug abuse and this sort of thing. Because there were 16 garages at the back, there was quite a lot of open space at the back. Uh, so it was getting misused for alcohol and drugs everything. abuse and everything. It was a, a known place that police were coming to find people that they wanted to uh, speak to. Um, so it had a bad persona about the whole area. Uh, and there was two or three of these buildings in a close vicinity that had come up with the auction at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were owned by the same... Uh, consortium yeah. uh, who'd gone bust. Um, we've seen it. We've, we've tried to buy all three, actually, but we, we're only able to buy this particular one of 12 flats. Uh, we were really interested in this one, so we went to the auctioneer before auction. We offered 30% um, above guide. It was 10% first, then yeah. 20 and then he said, look, 30% is, this is the price that, you know, if you want to buy... Again, the these, these were guided at a, quite a, a low guide price because they were in a bad condition and they had a local reputation um, for being the local drug dens, basically. We we bought this for £106,000, and then we did each flat out, new kitchens, new bathrooms, and redecorated. Cost us around about £68,000 refurb, and then when we came to revalid after about nine months, it got valued at £385 because we did a commercial valuation on it, on the rent roll, which is around about £36,000 per year on these flats. And we managed to cash out, taking 65% loan to value with the commercial lender, we cashed out £61,000. And we still own this building since 2011, and it's bringing in three 
£3,200 per month rent every month, you know. And it's giving us cash flow around about £2,500 a month. So it's properties like this where sometimes we have actually increased our cash pot, that our sort of funding pot substantially. This isn't the only one. We've done several others like this. But yeah. as you said, they sort of don't come every day. They come maybe once, once or twice, year, yeah. you know, once every once a year or maybe once every two years, but these properties do actually give you a lot of cash flow and do increase your pot. Uh, well, what we didn't mention, this this one had bad subsidence as well. So yeah. uh, one one side of the building had a massive crack from top to bottom. Um, it was yeah. basically falling over into the next door, which also had subsidence. Um, so we worked, we uh, actually worked with a set of investors, yeah. purchased the building next door. Uh, we worked with them to get the whole um, two properties two properties underpinned. Uh, with pile underpinning at the same time, so it was it was a hell of a project. Uh, lots of learning again. Lots of learning. Every project you learn something new. You uh, find something you can do better. Uh, something that you haven't done before. So it's Absolutely. all about the journey. Yeah, and you know that I think it's it, it's one of these things, right? Where you know, if people are listening, you seem very chilled and very calm, but at the end of the day. These deals obviously are stressed. They have challenges, which we'll talk about a bit later. They have negatives. They have things going wrong. But also, you're saying the deals are maybe once or twice a year, but you're working 12 months to get a deal like this once in or twice in those 12 months. And that, it's easy to talk about, but it's not so easy to experience. And for people listening, you know, you want the kind of numbers and figures that Arshad and Imran have. You have to then put in the 12 months to get that one deal, which sounds crap, right? It sounds like, oh, I'm working a year for one deal. But depending on your sort of requirements, one deal can be life-changing, you know, really depending on what you need. So could you both tell me and the listeners about some challenges you've had or some of the times where things have not gone to plan and, you know, how often it can go wrong in property? Well, just look at this property here. When we did the pre-auction bid, we knew there was some subsidence, but we didn't realise it was that much that it needed underpinning. So when, when we bought the property and we actually had a lender lined up to refinance on day one, he came back and said, you're kidding me, are you? This has actually got subsidence. Yeah. <laughs> it's not our, our cup of tea. Well, th- this is one of the ones that we had a bit of a wobble, actually. Because yeah. We purchased it at auction before auction. Everything went through. Yeah. Yeah. We got the keys. The day we got the keys and went to see it, there were, the street was cordoned off. There was a police raid. Uh, one of the tenants in the next door property had the landlord at knife point. Um, yeah. And um, we, we, we'd gone there just to have a look around. And we kind of had a bit of a wobble. Yeah, and we were like, yeah. oh, do we really want to get involved in this sort of thing? Now, the other thing was next door investors bought it. We, we knew that these buildings had subsidence. And his had, had slightly more subsidence than ours. But these guys bought it blind and didn't even realise that. They had subsidence. Subsidence. So they were saying that they'd been done over by the auction house. So they contacted us and said, oh, do you realise these buildings are falling over and they're worthless and this and that? And, you know, the whole negativity circle started. So we'd kind of gone into this little yeah. negative cycle of thinking and we're thinking, oh, is it worth pursuing this? And, and we, at one point we were even contemplating and of, like, backing out of the deal right. and, and suffering the consequences. I phoned my solicitor up who we've used for the last uh, 15 years and said, uh, we bought this property, but we want out. What's the best way out of this? We're happy to lose our 10% deposit. Uh, fine, because obviously we, we made that kind of money on a previous project. Uh, what's the best? We said, Asher, it's probably the best auction house contract I've ever seen. If you back out, they could sell it to their best friend for half the price and charge you the difference. So you're best off doing this. And both of us sat down that day and saying, hang on, if you'd known the subsidence was that bad, would we buy it? And the answer was yes. Yeah, so... But- why are we now sort of, yeah. it, it was just other negative thoughts from other people that were trying to push that down. We sat down on a positive mental attitude, we're buying it. Yeah, we Isn't sat that? down, we went through the numbers again. We said, look, the numbers work. Uh, it might be hard work for six, eight months. The numbers work. And if it doesn't work after the numbers, we'll just get rid of it. You know, we'll flog it on. There's plenty of people who will be interested in a cash flow and property like that. But uh, we still hold the property. It's been fantastic. The, the vendors either side have now renovated theirs. Uh, so it's a nice it's a, block now. It's a nice block. We've got 11 professionals in there yeah, yeah. Um, and one student, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it's been a, a blessing in disguise, as I say. And we've actually potential to put another block of maybe 12, 18 flats behind because the pub next door has got planning permission for something like 20 houses. So basically whenever they do it, we can actually apply for planning permission for our side. But it's actually another 
development yeah. project in there. Again, we've actually got maybe 12, 18 months of development potential work in our portfolio. So just just that, that project there just shows you how difficult it can be, uh, just having the right mindset and just thinking positively. Negativity has a massive effect on every deal. Um, it can either be glass half full or glass half empty, and it, it all depends on how you perceive things, really. Yeah, and I think, you know, what you what you said there is the fact that, you know, your experience, you've had many, many, many properties before this one, but someone else's opinion still, who you didn't really know, but, you know, still put you in a place where you were questioning yourself and how you act. And, you know, for when, when you're new in property and you're, you have one or two houses, you get swayed by people's opinions and it's, you do. Yeah. it's, it, it's not the, the best thing, but it's okay because it happens and it's normal, but it's how you, as you did, how you react to it. Yeah. yeah how you sit down and you say, actually, who the hell are they? You know, we'd do this anyway, so let's carry on. So sometimes you need to step back, you know, take a kind of bigger picture and say, well, actually, this is fine. Um, who cares what someone thinks? So for people who are new in property, it is very difficult because you're not experienced. So you're kind of like, oh, they must be right. They, they must not be. But I guess that boils down to finding your network and people you can trust. So you had that deal and that you know looked like it was going wrong but it didn't and it, it came through the other end um how so when it comes to adding value i think you know most people know the obvious ones new bathroom new kitchen new inter- you know, new paint you know the usual kind of everything we can see is very easy to understand adding value but is there anything in particular or different that you always look for on viewing than you think right this is going to add 20 30k of value how can we identify those things like you do um one of the things that we do is we, we do purchase just the run of the mill houses as well in the background uh where as you say new kitchen new bathroom uh decor and uh, roughly about 10k uplift 12k uplift maybe in some cases um but what we do on viewings is look for properties where we can add extensions on the back going to the loft going to the basement that sort of angle or properties that have got subsidence or They've got some sort of structural issue or some sort of issue on titles uh, where then we can have a, a significant uplift. Again, one of our best buys is buying a two flats that somebody started in conversion on. This was, again, way back 2010, where the guy got repossessed and probably been empty for about a good two, three years. And every man his dog had been there and stole just about everything from their broken glass, everything. The place looked horrendous. We we tried buying this twice pre-auction which the offers didn't exceed on the third one we actually managed to buy it pre-auction i think the first time it was around 55,000 pounds we bought this for 32 32 or 32 yeah. it was almost again this is in, in about a spate of 18 months but the amazing thing is when we bought the property and we cleaned cleared all the glass and stuff, there wasn't that much we budgeted around 15,000 pound on this property and we thought it would maybe even exceed the budget, but once we cleaned, it, cleaned everything out, the fundamental work that needed was very straightforward. Again, we bought this property for 32, I think we spent about 25 on it. It got wild at 95, it's two flats again that we hold. So it's a matter of seeing, we specialize in buying property that other people don't want to buy and it doesn't sell. Yeah, you've probably heard a theme here that there's pipe stolen, copper stolen, glass everywhere. That that's a kind of property where we make the most money on, really. So where there's where it looks horrible and there's muck, that's where yeah. most of the money yeah. is, really. Yeah. So that's a kind of property we go for. This particular one that Ash is talking about was a uh, it was a shop downstairs with a flat upstairs, and somebody had actually got permission to turn the shop into a flat downstairs. So kind of a commercial conversion again. Yeah. What they yeah. do yeah. nowadays, yeah. people doing permit development. Um, they'd started the works downstairs and then they'd got repossessed for whatever reason. Um, so we just carried on, finished the work off downstairs, um, and then we financed that out at ninety five thousand. Yeah, yeah. With two flats as two two bedroom flats. Again, we cashed out from that quite a lot, and again, we actually own it again. This was again, it's a matter of buying. This was on the outs on the outskirts of a, a ex council estate, yeah. and we don't really like buying on council estates for obvious reasons. But amazing thing is, we were trying to find working professionals for this flat, and the, the flat was done. Both flats were done up very nicely. We get the tenants, they, they stay there for six months at leave. And then we're thinking, what's what's wrong? But then... Yeah, then we, we stumbled onto somebody who was on the estate. 
uh, when he said, oh, I live on the state and around here, people like their own only here. Um, so we decided to ask him if he knew anybody who wanted a flat and he said, oh yeah, my son wants a flat. So his son's been in there since... His son and then his daughter. Yeah, his son's been in there. His daughter moved in the top the last flat. Six, and last six, been six in years. there for six years. Yeah, yeah. Um, happy days. Wow. And, and you know, that's, I guess, an example of knowing your area and like every street every estate every block is different and it, it's like i think and i guess this you know if you're using a deal sourcer who doesn't know their area who doesn't understand it or even you're new to an area the little things like just sometimes hanging around of course talking to people saying hi knocking on neighbors doors just doing a kind of due diligence on a softer level than you know figures numbers etc can pay like huge dividends i mean one of my houses the the lettings agent told me that opposite there's a massage parlor which offers extra services shall we say (laughs) Um, and i didn't have a bloody clue but the people in the town know this and you know i i would have found out earlier if i'd walked around maybe or just done some due diligence but you know it's one of these things right that it's really helpful to do this soft research um in your kind of areas right so you know we've spoken about your challenges and the kind of deals that you're getting now these deals sound like exactly what i'm looking for and exactly what i think many investors are looking for how do you generally source these kind of deals with broken glass needles x drug dens etc is it agents is it auctions is it direct to vendor it's a mixture of all of them that you said uh agents auctions uh, driving around the streets, finding houses that are boarded up, uh, trying to get hold of the vendor. Um, that's basically what we do, and and just viewing almost everything that comes yeah. on the market, yeah. or speaking to somebody who's uh, who's viewing every property yeah. that comes on yeah. the market. We generally don't do all the viewings ourselves. We just talk to the people who've been out to view them in the local area. The three of us, obviously, Imran, myself, Nifshan, Zashib, uh, wanted to be on this podcast, but he's busy uh, managing our latest refurb project, which is two HMOs. So we do actually partition the work, and one of us goes to one viewing, all three don't have to go to viewings. So we do view a lot of property. And Imran's, uh, again, spent ages on the computer looking at deals that come on to the agent, saying, Dad, this yeah. has come on. I think somebody needs to go and view it. Right move, uh, house net prices, price all data is my best friend. <laughs> Hmm. Okay. Awesome. And you know, what are you doing next in property? What's in the pipeline? What's on the horizon? Uh, the current project is um, two six-bed uh, all-on-suite student HMOs, um, literally two hundred yards from yeah, the university. Yeah, yeah. Um, that one we purchased about six weeks ago. Yeah. Um, they came in. It's two terraced houses, uh, three-story next door to each other. Um, it's going to be 12 rooms across the two. Um, we bought, purchased them for 163k. Um, we're looking to spend around 100k on conversion costs. Uh, one of them's having an f- extension on the back uh, to house a kitchen and a living room. The other is having uh, the dormers uh, revamped. revamped to provide more height on the third floor, second floor. Depends <laughs> yeah. how you want to see it. Um, and once that's completed, we're expecting it to have a valuation of around 380 to 400k um, and a rental of 57k a year, which is about five grand, just under five grand a month. We estimate that we'll have about six months' rent left in the deal, but hopefully in the first year, yeah. there'll be no money left in. Worst case is uh, we'll have about six months' rent trapped in that one. It means. It being only just over the road from university, it was a tall order. Obviously, it's not going to be ready until the last week of the first week, last week in August or first week in September. But I think with the quality of the refurb we're going to do, we should have no issue trying to get students that late. Yeah, the, the, the big push on this one is time because we've only purchased it six weeks ago uh, and we're trying to get ready for this academic year. So we've got lots of uh, resources thrown at this one. So we've actually got almost eight people working today. Yeah, we've had to increase our labour team um, to try and get this one over over the edge. Over the line. Because we're, we're also doing a couple of single-letter refurbs as we speak, parallel with that, and finishing off a, a six-bed uh, on-suite HMO, which is a couple of weeks away yeah. from completion. Yeah. Fantastic. So it's, it's all go. 
Yeah, all guns blazing. I love it. And, you know, what are your thoughts on the market in your area? And your area is Middlesbrough, right? Yeah, Middlesbrough. Our area is Teesside in general, really. So we hold property in Darlington, Stockton, Middlesbrough, the villages around um, parts of Durham. Um, but generally in our area, prices haven't really recovered since the 2008-2007-2008 crash. So we're still about 5% below that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what we have seen over the last 12 to 18 months, it's getting difficult to buy properties at the prices that we want to buy them at. Um, they don't stay on, on the market for as long and they're selling closer to asking prices. Uh, and I was talking to an agent two weeks ago who I know really well and he said most of his inquiries now are from out-of-town investors so out nine out of ten inquiries are from people out of town um, and from them inquiries two or three close out and purchase the deal uh, and he said it's more than what you'll want to buy it for so, <laughs> so I, don't, I don't even bother contacting you. <laughs> we feel that's a precursor to prices increasing in the next 12 to 24 months because it's blind demand, so if we get out-of-town investors pushing money into the area, the price is only going to go one way. Again, before we look at property, off, make an offer and go back six months yes. later, and the property would still be there, and we'd actually negotiate middle ground. Now, if we go two, maybe three months back, property's gone at the asking price. Yeah. I think, you know, I'm hearing that a lot. I mean, I'm experiencing that in South Wales. People in Birmingham have been experiencing that for ages. I think... It's, yeah, it's, it's a sign of, you know, the rising prices, but also, you know, maybe it's a sign of more people being aware of property and you can do it from a distance and us cheeky Londoners coming up north <laughs> and, and whatnot. So that's that's very interesting because I don't know the market pre, I don't know, pre-end of last year. So for me, I'm going straight into, oh, things are going for asking, oh they're going, you know, at prices I don't want to buy them at. So I think for you, it's interesting to hear how that's changed, even in an area that is is quite far from London. Like, you know, how, how far are you from London? Uh, 300 miles, 250, it, 60 it, miles. I think uh, depending where in London you're talking about, I think we're around about between 232, 250 miles. It's only about two hours on a train from King's Cross. About three, three and a half hours drive. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's very interesting. Okay, so look, we've reached the end of the podcast, so we're on the quick fire round now. So real short, snappy answers that can give people value straight away. So the first of the three questions is, what are the biggest three mistakes that you've made in property? You going first? Yeah, I'll, I'll go. I think the biggest mistake that I've, I've probably made is not networking earlier and working with other investors or using other people's money and only doing projects using our own funds, that's actually hindered our acceleration. We're going to probably maybe, we are the deals, but not the funds, so we're going to probably maybe done double, triple amount of projects. And the other thing is uh, relying on only one commercial lender, who was brilliant when they have given us 100% funding, but then their appetite changed, so we're now sort of having to look for other people. Uh, for me, Poor goal setting. Uh, initially, it was just a, a wealth building exercise, um, getting the property to as a business. We didn't really have any defined goals. Uh, so set clear, concise goals because we achieved what we wanted to and then just kind of carried on. Um, we didn't tell people what we do. Um, again, tell people what you do. Tell everybody what you do. Try and get as many people involved. Uh, and poor networking. I think we're still pretty poor at networking and everybody needs can improve networking and uh, try and get out there and talk to more people and find out what other people are doing and tell people what you're doing. Yeah, I love it. And then I guess opposite to that, what would be your top three tips for people who are new in property? Uh, you need to basically network, take action and look at all strategies and pick one that works and do it and have a clear goal plan, one year, three year, and five year plan, and try and stick to it? Uh, for me, uh, newbies, take action, just do it, don't wait. Um, I think reading and listening to podcasts and just getting out there, you'll know that pretty much every strategy works. You just have to take action and do it, and if you make a mistake, you'll only learn from it and make it stronger, so take action. 
Absolutely. And what are your top three goals for the future? These can be personal, career, fitness, anything. Um, for me, the the goal is to double the portfolio in the next three five years. Uh, I'd say five years probably from being trying to set my own goals clearly. So, <laughs> yeah, double the portfolio in five years. Um, start a lettings agency for HMOs specifically, um, and try and roll that out across maybe the country as a franchise or something. That's one of my goals for the next couple of years. The biggest goals, one of the biggest goals I've actually got is. With all three of us, we've been working in the business and I'm trying to set up systems and procedures where we're working on the business and trying to outsource a lot of stuff to other people. So systemize. Yeah, systemize and out outsource as much as you can. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you both very much for coming on the TED Talks podcast. There's a lot of value in here. I think a lot of your, your deals are just are so interesting to see how you've managed to recycle most of your money, if not more, and you've chosen, you know, a lower LTV because why not, you know, de-risk it. And you've also chosen repayment, which again is de-risking it, but yet you still make so much profit. I think your focus on adding value is huge. And for everyone listening, hopefully encourages them to consider new ways and new avenues in which you could add value. And if you see subsidence or my favourite knotweed, then don't run away from it, run towards it. And, you know, if you've got the right people in your team, you can fix these issues. So Imran and Asha, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank, thank you, you very much. It's been uh, really enjoyable. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.